Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It is very clear, uh, very, very clear, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that things are going pretty badly wrong. I don't think I've been quite so angry throughout this coronavirus lockdown as I am this morning, ladies and gentlemen. I don't think I've been quite so disgusted by the behaviour of the baying mob last night that desecrated the Cenotaph War Memorial in the name of Black Lives Matter. I don't think I've been quite so horrified by the behaviour of our own police taking the knee instead of arresting the violent thugs that they were trying to appease from Hyde Park to Downing Street. The scenes last night in central London gave the lie to any claim that the city and its citizens are under the protection of the Metropolitan Police. For a couple of hours, those streets were in the hands of the mob. Officers were attacked and pushed over. Members of the public were punched to the ground. Marauding gangs of thugs roamed freely without fear of arrest. Encouraged by idiotic politicians like Labour MP Barry Gardner, who joined in the quite frankly reckless and dangerous protest without social distancing. These virtue signalling planks now claim they were protesting not just the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, but police brutality. Well, I can tell you this, the only brutality I saw was against the police, not by the police. This morning, Susan Hall joins us from City Hall to call on London Mayor Sadiq Khan to clamp down on these ridiculous demonstrations and these ridiculously violent morons, because there's two more planned for this weekend. Quite simply, they are a magnet for anarchists, for criminals and for middle-class revolutionaries. Stop them now. Di Davis, the former head of Royal Protection, is going to join us in a moment to give us his view as well. 0344 499 1000. It simply cannot continue. It is dangerous, it will spread the disease further, and it may well, in fact, have already caused a second peak. Coming up later on, we're looking into the unfolding scandal at British Airways, who were accused yesterday of using the lockdown to make thousands of employees redundant while taking advantage of the government's furlough scheme. If you're working for BA, we'd love to hear from you. We can disguise your identity and you can tell us what's really going on, because what we believe is really going on, and this accusation was made by Hugh Merriman, uh, the chair of the Transport Committee, Tory MP for Bath and Bexhill, he said that he believes that British Airways are systematically culling members of their staff in order to restructure the company and pay people less. It's an absolute disgrace. 0344 499 1000. Our homeschooling section today touches upon my view out the window, believe it or not, towards the Tower of London, where Henry VIII's great-granddaughter, Lady Jane Grey, was executed in 1554. I could have seen it from here. I can see onto tower, uh, the tower uh, green inside the Tower of London, which is exactly where the um, executions used to take place. Quite scary stuff. 03444991000. As ever, we want your calls. Tell us what you're thinking, what you're seeing, and what you are doing. And if you witnessed any of that ghastly violence last night, uh, we want to hear your side of that story as well. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.
Well, I don't know about you, but witnessing those scenes last night has made me quite angry, has made me feel as if all of the things that we have all done over the past eight to nine weeks, all of the hiding out in your own flats, all of the hiding out and the uh, social distancing that you've been doing every time you've gone to the supermarket, the queuing up outside of Tesco's, outside of Sainsbury's, outside of Aldi's and Lidl's, uh, the care that you've taken to make sure you wash your hands every five minutes, all of that's gone out the window thanks to a bunch of middle-class revolutionary anarchists, most of whom are not black, but they think black lives matter more than white lives, it would seem to me. They certainly seem to think that their lives matter more than the police officers who have protected them throughout all sorts of pandemic problems throughout the last few weeks. And I'm sick to death of this kind of ridiculousness that goes on, where the police now taking a knee seems to be more important than arresting the scumbags. Let's talk to Di Davis, former head of Royal Protection, to find out whether he feels the same as I do. Di, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you. Long time no speak. Well, indeed, I thought here's a man that will presumably be as horrified by what we saw on the streets of London last night as I am. Well, I agree with you. Uh, Anarchy can never have a place, no matter what the justification of allegedly of any uh, aspects of, of concerns. And of course, there is huge discrimination both here and in America. and We all know that. But I don't think going on the streets in these masses and, as you say, attacking police and others has any part in any kind of protest. Well, it's ab- it is absolutely nonsensical. Yeah, I mean, the thing that surprised me most, Di, as well, was, was two things, really. One, that the police officers who were at this demonstration had clearly not been given permission uh, to wade in. And I can understand that there would be sensitivities around that because some of these ghastly anarchists want that to happen because they want to have an absolute stand-up fight with the cops. But my understanding of the way policing is normally done in these situations is if you're going in softly, softly, and therefore the police are not wearing any protection and they've been ordered not to use any sort of, uh, you know... Uh, pepper sprays or or baton charges or anything like that normally the right squad are around the corner in the vans and if it all kicks off the vans come around the guys jump out with the crash helmets on and they start to control it but that didn't happen well i can't i, I can't comment because i haven't actually seen all of this uh I, I've, I've i've switched off now i have to i can't watch uh the main media anymore mm. uh, and, and the way they're carrying on and a very one-sided uh, approach to all of this I mean, I was just thinking, I'm walking in the countryside, how lucky I am to live in the countryside. But I was thinking about all those shops that have been burnt and looted. Yeah. Nobody seems to give a hoot about <laughs> those aspects. And again, nobody can condemn what the, it's alleged that officer did. Nobody at all. And I certainly couldn't. No, no decent police officer would. Yeah. But I also remember how many hundreds of police men in, uh, in America, black and white, are actually killed. Well, exactly uh, right. In the line of duty. Nobody talks about how many decent coppers there are. And the actions of one man is is creating this huge, well, in my opinion, hysteria. But well, it go. is. It's out, well, it's like everything else, though. It's out of all proportion to what actually happened. I mean, I said earlier this week that the problem with allowing these demos to go on, because the first one happened on Sunday, it was already out of control then, uh, because basically the people who were marching were marching far too close to one another, completely yeah. ignoring the social distancing. I mean, forget whether or not... Um, this was something that shouldn't have happened in any event. But in, in the terms of a lockdown, in terms of a pandemic, when we're all being told to behave in a certain way oh, in order to, to safeguard lives, you know, these people are completely thumbing their nose at that. Bizarrely. Well, absolutely. Bizarrely. So, rightly, go on. Yeah. I was going to say, it rightly, as you say, all of us here have suffered hugely, and yet we're now allowing thousands of people to break the rules mm. that we've all been doing. It is madness. And I'm also thinking 75 years ago, we were celebrating those brave men and women. They must turn in their graves that they fought a a tyranny to allow another kind of tyranny to happen in this country. 
And, and I'm told people are threatened that if you don't put online, I'm not online, that if you don't put supporting, you'll be struck off or you will yeah. be uh, castigated as racist. What is going wrong in this country? Well, it's a very I good question. Do you know, it was also the third anniversary yesterday uh, of the first attack on London Bridge by those ghastly terrorists who uh, had yeah. knives strapped to their wrists so that they could stab and kill as many people as possible. They were fortunately neutralised by members of the Metropolitan Police Armed Response Units who behaved brilliantly and quickly and who did save lives. Now, these are now the same police officers who are being attacked by these scumbags uh, who think that black lives matter more than anything else in the world. Well, the problem is we've got such a lily-livered government and structure at the moment that they're allowed to get away with it. Mm. Um, that's the problem. And what you have is, is you have well-meaning people who really not experienced a great deal, but they jump on the bandwagon. They're not at work, many of them. Now, some of them have never worked. Mm. And you've got professional agitators who are saying great Let's get in there. Let's stir it up because that's a revolution and that's what they like. Yes. Now, I'd like to think I'd like to think that today members of the Metropolitan Police are pouring through the video footage of what happened last night and looking for people and trying to identify people uh, who are the troublemakers, because what they must do at the very least is weed those people out, arrest them before the weekend so they can't do it again on Saturday and do it again on Sunday. I, I totally agree with you, but I wouldn't hold my breath if I were you. Well, I mean, you know, as a Londoner, uh, born and bred, lived here all my life uh, without exception for a, a few years where I went abroad uh, and I went to university and all of that. But, you know, London is my home. I don't expect to be unaware and unable to walk through the centre of town in the middle of the night because these thugs have taken control. And like, I kid well, you I not, agree. if you look at some of the social media video, which you won't see on mainstream uh, video, by the way, mainstream media, you'll only see it here on talk radio. We're playing some of it out as we speak. The point is, is that, you know, at one point or other, there are four or five police officers and they look as if they're in Northumberland Avenue to me. And they're basically being forced back by a bunch of thugs, some of them on bicycles, all of them wearing hoodies, uh, kind of walking towards them with with threats, really. And the police are walking backwards saying, stop, stop. And that's all they can do. There's nothing else yeah. they've got. And I find that quite scary. Well, it is, and, and unfortunately, we are in a society where they're quick to jump to criticise the police, whatever they do, yeah. and they can never be right and never be wrong. And as you say, the sensitivity now is the fact that a, a policeman does anything. He, the, it, it, it's, it's walking into a trap often set by these people, the professional agitators, and so they have to be careful. But at the end of the day, ordinary, decent people have to stand up. And as for Barry Gardner and, and his like, well, God help us, who's right. got people like that? So that's well, I mean, a, this is a guy who's so thick, right, that he thinks yeah. because he was tested negative for the coronavirus on Monday uh, that he's OK to go and mingle with a load of people on Wednesday, despite the fact that in the House of Commons yesterday, it looks like Ashok Sharma uh, has to be tested for coronavirus because he became unwell while he was delivering a speech at the dispatch box. Yeah. But I mean, it, the interesting thing is uh, the Met have fined thousands of people for breaking the, the things. Are they going to find and, and get hold of any of these people and find them? That's a question I'd ask. Well, they've spray-painted were... spray and damaged the cenotaph once more in a quite disgraceful way. That's going uh, to cost a lot of money to fix. It, it just makes you turn. It turns that our society has become so... In my opinion, I've been around nearly 70 years now, and I'm just saddened to mm. see that this, this thing can be allowed in a decent place. But that's... That's the world we live in, unfortunately, and, and mobs can quickly be aroused now and they can gather and they can overwhelm the forces. Um, 
I just feel very sad. I'm yeah, very but, sad. But, but, I'm but, di- listen, it's, it's all very well being sad, but we have to be more than sad. We have to be angry because these people are a tiny minority in this country, a tiny minority even of those on the left who would like to see a Labour government. These people are not Labour-supporting individuals. These people are absolute and utter anarchists. They're members of Antifa at times. They are certainly people who would like to see the destruction of everything that we have and everything that we love in this country. They have no respect for the Senator, for the people who died for the freedoms that we have. And quite frankly, uh, they are an absolute and utter disgrace. And they should all be locked up uh, for a period of at least a month, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> well, much longer. Listen, I'm sad and angry, but I try and contain my anger yes. because I'm on your programme. Mm. And I try and, ca- and come across, as I do, as reasonably balanced. But well, you are, you. you are a very reasonably balanced man, Di, but you're like most people in this country. Uh, you're a law-abiding citizen. Uh, you believe in democracy. You believe in the right to protest, as I do. But what I don't believe in is the right to abuse uh, your privilege to protest. And I don't think I that agree. should be allowed. I totally agree with that sentiment. And I also, as you know, I'm a fairly hardline ex-copper. Yeah. Um, and if I had my way, because I was in charge of the TSG, who you uh, call the riot police, yeah. uh, so I'm well used to public order. There's a balance. You have to go in. You have to ensure in future that you capture the high ground, as I often say, and that you control things, not these thugs. Yeah. So but no, and unfortunately, that was not the case yesterday. Yesterday, the police were overrun, uh, outmaneuvered, uh, and, and appeared to have no strategy with which to fight back. Yes, well, the, the problem is the Met are currently are being led by people whose public order experience is limited. Well, Cressida Dick's more interested in clapping for carers on Westminster Bridge than she seems to yeah, be well, to arresting people. Listen, don't get me going on that one, but uh, <laughs> you and I have discussed that before. Yes. But at the end of the day, you know, experience counts, and sadly, they lack that public order experience, which sadly, mm. those of us uh, policing 70s, 80s and 90s had a huge experience of, and you do learn your trade when you're doing that, or yeah. your profession. And sadly, we're, <laughs> they've all been to universities, like you, but I didn't. I've got a full stop after my name. And boy, is it worth having that full stop. Mm. But what I'm trying to say is experience is what you need. And you need experience of how to deal with these thugs. And I hope that the Met somehow gain that experience and do it properly. Well, let's hope so. What do you make of these individual police officers taking the knee, as it's now called? Taking the what? They're taking the knee. They basically kneel down on one knee to show solidarity with the people who are protesting. Well, go down on knee, then get up and nick them. <laughs> well, exactly right. I think that would, I think, be uh, the uh, the watchword for the Independent Republican Mike Graham if we were policing <laughs> this event. Di, listen, thanks very much indeed. Di Davis, former head of Royal Protection. Mid morning with Mike Graham, Talk Radio. And don't forget, we are live streaming now on Facebook, on Twitter, but most importantly on YouTube, where we have a very, very fast-growing audience on our YouTube channel because it's now uh, watching talk radio that people are interested in doing as well as just listening to us. So if you're able to, uh, do put it on YouTube, put it on your big screen, and you get to see me in all my glory lording it over London, uh, where we sit atop uh, talk radio towers, staring out into uh, the abyss, which is obviously the Tower of London uh, and the Tower Bridge and uh, the Shard and St. Paul's and all the other great sites in London, which need to be protected from these ghastly anarchists who are trying to break down and tear down everything that we've built up over centuries. Let's talk to Susan Hall right now uh, and find out just how angry she is. Susan, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning. 
I can't believe what I saw last night on television is not only allowed to happen in this country, but is likely to be repeated on Saturday and on Sunday when these morons decide to have more commemorative marches, uh, you know, for the memory uh, of a man who was killed in Minneapolis, the United States, a place where I'm sure most of them have never even been. Well, all of this is down to a, a case of safety. They're putting everybody in danger by doing what they're doing. As for the aggression towards the police, there is absolutely no excuse for that whatsoever. It's a disgrace. It really is. But what I find astonishing as well, I don't know whether you've had an opportunity to quiz Cressida Dick about this, who runs the Metropolitan Police, but there didn't appear to be any police officers with the right kind of protection to deal with this kind of violence. And when the violence did start, um, it didn't seem that there was any kind of, you know, special uh, forces to come into play who would have been able to disperse the crowd. The police were literally, as I saw them on various videos, in retreat. Well, I did have a chance to quiz her. Actually, yesterday we had a, a, a police committee meeting and I, I was the one that asked her about the protests. Um, I think the trouble is we've got a situation here. I, I can only imagine, and this is what I'm imagining, she didn't say it, but if you remember going back to 2010 when we had all the uh, riots, etc., yeah. the last thing we needed like that happening again. And I think that's why the police are, are reluctant to go in so hard. But if you see the videos that are on Twitter this morning, of the way the, treat, the police have been treated, it's an absolute disgrace being um, hit, being th- placards being thrown at them. Um, I have absolutely no time for this whatsoever. So many of us have been shielding the whole time, as we should, to save all of us from this wretched virus. And yet all of these, and you call them planks, I don't, but you call them planks, are going out there, putting every one of us in danger. Where is Khan at this point? He should be issuing guidance on how to protest safely, because it it is our human right to protest. But, you know, people should always be wearing masks. They should keep social distance. Um, Unlike Barry Gardner, I only hope the media are as um, vociferous against him as they have been against others who actually didn't put other people in danger. Um, But I, I... I'm not holding my breath on that one. Well, you'll be delighted to know that on Sadiq Khan's Twitter feed, his most recent tweet from about 29 minutes ago uh, is a picture of a Westminster cycling lane in which he says, exciting to see our street space plans coming to fruition. We're protecting and widening uh, CS8, making our streets safer for people to walk and cycle. Well, it wasn't very safe to walk and cycle down Northumberland Avenue last night because there was a bunch of marauding gangs uh, trying to punch anyone uh, they didn't like the look of. Oh, he's a, he's a complete waste of time. He should be showing leadership because he is our mayor. He should be showing leadership out there saying, for goodness sake, we'll have another spike in this if we're not careful. Um, I, I grant you cannot take people's rights away to demonstrate. That is our our right. And we're lucky to have those rights in this country. However, we've just been through so much pain trying to get rid of this virus or trying to reduce it. Um, with people doing what they were doing yesterday and I believe more are scheduled to go ahead we're just going to have a second peak and then of course who will get the blame the government will get the blame not all these idiots that are out on the street not keeping any social distance whatsoever also what I'd like to see uh, Susan is the police in today stepping in 
looking at the CCTV footage, because there's plenty of it, and there will be plenty of social media footage as well, of some of these people, these individuals who were spray-painting the cenotaph, the ones who were throwing stuff at the police, the ones who were punching the police, they're very clear images, right? Why are they not saying to us and releasing uh, in, in their, on their own Twitter feed, these are the people we want to find, these are the people we have identified as the troublemakers, because at the very least, they could then pick them out of the crowd, arrest them, and prevent them from taking part this weekend? Well, I think they should. Um, the trouble is, um, t- too often people tiptoe through these things, not wanting to cause any problems or offence or anything else. These officers are getting smacked in the face. Yeah, They're having things thrown at them. Um, we need to protect our police officers. I mean, I'm, I'm watching your video now. It's an absolute disgrace. And the trouble is so many of these people in the audience that I'm watching now will go home. They may well have elderly relatives living with them. They may have people that, uh, you know, in one of the groups that Mm. uh, are particularly vulnerable to this virus. They're putting them at danger. And then, of course, it's even even worse because it will just spread around amongst communities etc we'll be back to square one and in the meantime all of us are doing what we can to keep everybody safe people are losing their businesses people are losing family members and i'm i should have put that the other way around because it's in the wrong order but nevertheless lots of people have gone through a lot of pain over this and now here they all are in the streets screaming and shouting all next to each other we need to issue guidance on what people have to do if they want to demonstrate because that's their right to do it right but but what about but what about the protection of the police as well because i noticed that the police were not wearing masks quite a few of the protesters were wearing masks some of them probably because they wanted their identities to remain secret but i mean the police are actually now in a healthcare scenario here which could be dangerous for them because they're having to police very close to one another but they're also having to have these ghastly individuals shouting at them breathing all over them probably spitting at them as well you know and and heaven forbid that we get an outbreak of coronavirus amongst the Metropolitan Police as a result. Yes, actually yesterday, and I'm sorry, I don't have my notes here. Yesterday, um, Cressida Dick told us how many of police officers have been uh, spat at, etc. during um, this whole lockdown. Um, I, I imagine it, it it's doubled overnight. Absolutely disgraceful. It really um, is. And, and yeah, Carl needs to come out and say, stop this at the moment, please. Or if you're going to do it, keep socially distanced, be peaceful and calm. So what happened in America didn't happen here. Our, our police force, I genuinely believe this, are doing everything they can to root out any racism whatsoever. Um, so why we have to have this nonsense carrying on here when we're all just desperately trying to keep ourselves safe from this virus, I do not know. Well, quite. And also, you know, who's to say that this weekend is the end of it? Because if they get uh, the, 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 the go ahead to do more uh, Saturday, one, I think one is, is outside the American embassy uh, and another one is probably, I think, more like the Hyde Park one from yesterday. But who's to say they don't decide to do another one next Wednesday or do another one for the following Saturday? You know, there doesn't seem to be any control over this from a central perspective. It all seems to be at the whim of these protesters. No, and what are they actually achieving? I cannot imagine most people out out there in London, as we, we're in London or anywhere, quite yeah. frankly, looking at this and thinking this is anything but a dreadful thing. We're all we're all doing what we're told, and these people are doing everything they can to ruin the last few weeks. Mm. Um, as I said, 
constantly say people have got the right to demonstrate, but for God's sake, at the moment, when we're going through such hell, when we're desperately trying to keep the National Health Service free, as free as we can, as in with less people there, um, I can only imagine this will cause a second peak, and then where will we all be? Right. Uh, absolutely but I mean, uh, you may not wish to be critical of the government, but surely they have a role here as well, because while telling us that we have to remain safe and we have to maintain social distancing and we have to stay home if we can, how can they possibly watch these scenes and allow them to continue to go on again? Surely the government has to step in at some point and override Sadiq Khan and say, look, mate, if you're not going to do anything about this, then we, I'm afraid, are going to have to as well. Well, I think they might have to. I mean, if you listen to Boris yesterday, um, he did say, again, he'll repeat, you know, everybody is allowed to demonstrate, but it must be done with social distancing in a safe way. Um, and, and he will have to override Khan mm. because Khan is just showing no leadership whatsoever, but he never does. But now is the time. There are places in London that's like a tinderbox. We don't want all of this kicking off because everything that everybody has done to keep other people safe over the last god knows how many weeks since march 23rd i think will all be for nothing mm. um just because few people want to go out on the streets about something that's happened in america I know. It's unbelievable. And rather ironic, as well, is it not, that, that we know, for example, and we've been told repeatedly for about the last two weeks, that the black and ethnic minority members of society are more susceptible to coronavirus than anybody else. And yet these people want to demonstrate next to each other uh, and infect more people uh, who might be their relatives who might die. Well, there is absolute concern at the moment, and rightfully so, about why BAME um, people are suffering worse than it, than a lot of other groups uh, with this virus. Um, and quite rightfully, we're doing everything we can to find out why that is. Mm. Now, that's been in the newspapers, it's been on the radio, it's on Twitter, it's everywhere. And how do we sh shield our BAME um, uh, uh, residents? And then we see this going on. I mean, it it beggars belief, quite yeah. frankly. I mean, like so many people, certainly like you, I, I, I saw your introduction. We're absolutely livid over this. It's just extremely poor behaviour that's got to be dealt with. Yes. And of course, this is not the first time, Susan, that you've uh, beseeched the mayor to do something about something, uh, which he seems to be blithely unaware of. He avoided uh, mayor's questions for such a long time that by the time you got around to asking him the questions, some of them were kind of out of time anyway. Um, what are you actually hoping you could achieve by beseeching him this time? What are you hoping he will do about this weekend's protests? Well, he's just a missing mayor, isn't he? I mean, he missing in obviously action. would rather mister totally. If he'd rather talk about cycle lanes when we've got this sort of nonsense going on in our streets, I mean, that says it all about him, doesn't it? He is completely useless as a mayor. And as you say, the uh, government may well have to step in again. They've had to step in to help with TfL yeah. because Transport for Life finances were horrific before we ever went into this. They've had to come to the rescue then. 
He couldn't run a bath, quite frankly, let alone the best city in the world. No, quite right too. Well, listen, let's hope that he sees reason. If he doesn't see reason, that the government sees it fit uh, to actually go over his head and stop what is planning uh, to be another escapade for these morons on Saturday and Sunday. Susan, thank you very much indeed. Uh, Conservative leader from the London Assembly. Terribly sensible woman. Uh, that's why we get her on this show. Sadiq Khan's been offered the chance to come on this show, but of course he continually turns it down uh, because he's not really very keen uh, on being pinned out uh, on what it is that he should be actually doing because what he's doing right now is precisely nothing. He is missing in action. He is the missing mayor. I think that's what we're going to start calling him from this moment on. Sadiq Khan, the missing mayor, doesn't seem to know how to run his own city, doesn't want to run his own city, only wants to put more bleeding cycle lanes up so that people can cycle to the riots and uh, loot shops and then cycle home again. Presumably, that's the plan, is it? Brilliant. 0344 499 1000. I've never been so sick to the back teeth of these anarchists trying to take over my city. I'm not going to let it happen. The government needs to do something here. If Sadiq Khan won't, Boris, you need to step in. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Let's go to the phone. Sonia is in Hackney. Hello, Sonia. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? Hi, good. I'm good, thanks. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, go on. What do you want to say? Yeah, yeah. No, basically. Um, so, well, um, so I'm black, basically, uh-huh. and um, I'm just. I don't know what is worse. Um, sort of, I'm embarrassed by the protests, or I'm just fed up of basically the mainstream media. 
that is just pushing this kind of narrative that we're kind of victims yeah. or oppressed. And I, I just don't see it that way, but it, I don't really have a voice because what is what I get round down my throat is that we need to protest, we need to right. fight, but I don't see what we need to fight for. Well, this you is know, the thing. I mean, I don't know exactly what it is that the demonstration is is for. You know, I can understand yeah, people yeah, wanting yeah. to to recognise uh, that that something terrible has happened in America, and we get that. Yeah. But what else yeah. is their aim exactly? I, I I don't know. I don't know. And it's just it's just I, I don't know. I didn't know where to look yesterday, basically. Mm. And I, I I saw the actor, um, the, um, the, the Star Wars guy. I, 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 oh my God! I, I, it was just, I just, I mean, he's a multi-millionaire. Yeah. How is he oppressed? I know. know? It's just, I just, I, I don't know, um, and I don't know how it's going to change because you know this is what we're kind of fed from day one from the mainstream. I mean, I live in Hackney, so yeah. you can imagine the kind of, you know, the, you know, the kind of voices that you hear in, in that in that part of London. Yes. We just never get the other side, and I just think it's. Well, Hackney used to be quite a good working class area where people yeah. from the white working classes and the black working classes mingled perfectly happily. It's now yeah. filled with these kind of, you Absolutely. know, shore ditch types, isn't it? Yeah, hipsters you know, the hipsters, yeah, yeah. the beardy yeah. ones, you know, the ones yeah, drinking yeah, yeah. craft beer yeah, yeah, and eating exactly. funny looking cheese. And exactly. they all think that they uh, are more black than you are. Yeah, yeah, exactly, you know? absolutely. They feel your like, pain, Sonia. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. I, I, I'm sorry, I don't know whether I'm being a traitor, but I, I've never felt any pain. I mean, I've got, I've got a master's degree. I've got, well, I've got an okay job. It could be better, but yeah. it's in my power to make my job better. Okay. It's not for the white man to, to, to lift his boots to no. give me freedom. It's for me to, to empower myself. And I've, if I don't get a job, it's because I wasn't good enough. It's not because I'm, I'm. Well, it might be because I'm black. But what I, what I, you know, whenever I apply for a job, if I don't get it, I look at what I can do to be better. It's, my, it's in my control. Yes. It's not in anyone else's control. But unfortunately, we're just we're not fed that. And I just think we're all kind of brainwashed. Yeah. And you mean you even look at like Diane Abbott, the majority she's got, she's not going anywhere right. soon. David Lammy. In, in Tottenham. These, these are all privileged people, by the way, Sonia. I know, you I know, know, I know, by the way, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, so I, 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 I mean, I just thought I would, I would give the other voice because unless you dig for it, yes. all you see is, is they're just deliberately trotting out black people to speak about and the rights who have the same opinion. And right. it's, it's not, it's not my opinion, and uh, I'm so I glad you did, Sonia, because it's as, it's as, it's as kind of embarrassing and and futile as saying that all white people are the same. All white people are not the same, and all black people are not the same. You have different opinions. You come from different parts of the world. Uh, you grew up here. You were born here. Some of you may have come here. You know, some of us were born here. Some of us came from somewhere else. There are people here from Europe. You know, it's a nonsensical argument f for me to say all black people are oppressed. All black people think like this. All black people need help, you know? I know, I know. But the thing is, I don't know when it's going to change because, it's again, I think it's a victim mentality and yeah. i don't really know what's gonna what's gonna get us out yeah. of that well the only thing that's gonna get us out of it is a bit of backbone and i'd like to see some backbone being shown by the government uh, some backbone being shown by the police because in the end we're being led around by the mob there were times last night in london where there was lawlessness on the streets the police were, were losing control of it and that is not something anybody wants to see yeah, that's true. And I think also, if the government kind of cracks down, it does send a message that we are not tolerating it. So that, hopefully that will permeate into minds. I don't know. But if the government kind of steps back, then it's like, oh, okay, it's okay. I can I can write again and again and again. But 
if we if, if the powers that be send the message that no this is not okay maybe that refocus mm. is mine I, yeah. I don't know i think so sonia we have to stop being sorry for things and we have to start saying that things are wrong you're a great caller sonia thank you so much and a very very uh, i would say illustrative caller for this show because this is the home of common sense the people who listen to this show are full of common sense and the people who opine on this show and get tell us what they think are absolutely brilliant so thank you very much for that mid-morning with mike graham talk radio let's talk now to graham payton who uh, is the transport correspondent for the times graham very good afternoon to you uh, hello, Mike. How are you doing? I, I'm fine, thank you. Are you fine, still working you. remotely? Uh, I am indeed, yes. which you'll probably uh, get to hear if my four-year-old bursts into the room, <laughs> as, she, well, as she always does when listen, I'm on a phone it's, call. It's, it's, it's not a problem at all, and uh, you know we look forward to her interruption. Let's talk about uh, mm. British Airways, because I've been contacted by quite a few people uh, who are inside the British Airways story, and it's quite a sort of bleak looking situation for many people i mean what i've been told and you can tell me whether uh, you've heard the same thing um is that they've got sort of two different sets of employment contracts at ba they've got the old-fashioned ones which are obviously much more um sort of preferential for the employees so that you might be a pilot who earns something like seventy-five thousand pounds a year uh, you might have the ability to have quite a lot of time off you might have really good terms and conditions and then you might have another pilot who's been hired within the last few years who does pretty much the same job but for about twenty-seven thousand pounds a year and i'm told that letters have gone out uh, warnings have been given to employees not to talk to the media and that basically they're trying to having furloughed twenty three thousand people during this coronavirus uh, lockdown they want to get rid of most of their employees make them redundant rehire them uh, with new contracts paying them less money with worse terms and conditions mm. well i mean that's uh, obviously they that's that's certainly the impression that, that we're getting. Yeah. And, you know, we're hearing the same sort of things as you. I mean, you know, BA would say it's all about simply putting them on a on a sound financial footing after after such a crisis that they've been through. I mean, it is unprecedented what they've been through. You've got to remember, obviously, they've grounded some of that 90% plus of their fleet. They've lost billions uh, is being burnt every month on um, on the fact that uh, they've got They've got these expensive aircraft that no one's flying. So, so you know, I, I can sort of see it from both sides. But clearly, MPs are up in arms. They're getting a lot of um, people contacting them from from BA. And you know, I, I think I think the the problem the problem that BA's got is obviously they're they're the flag carrier. They are uh, the nation's premier premier um, uh, airline. And well, they are, but they're now owned uh, by think, a Spanish company, aren't they? So, I mean, it's well, kind they're of they're owned by a Spanish company, majority owned as well by um, Qatar. So, so yes, they've 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 clearly, you know, that they, they are they are no longer British owned mm. uh, in every sense of the word. But I, I think I think the biggest problem is the way that BA have acted over furlough. So you rightly said that they've furloughed about twenty three thousand um, staff under the government's job retention scheme. They uh, received thirty-five million pounds through that in April alone, um, and I think the obviously the whole point of the job retention scheme is to keep those jobs long term when we get out of the COVID nineteen crisis. And a lot of MPs are annoyed, to put it mildly, but they're now planning to make twelve thousand staff redundant. But bigger than that is the fact that all the remaining staff will have their terms and conditions change yeah. so uh, as as you said i mean the, the uh, head of the transport select committee told the commons yesterday that 
they were effectively sacking their entire workforce mm. and replacing it with uh, 30,000 people on the inferior terms, as he put it. Well, exactly. And this is Hugh Merriman we're talking about. We tried to get Hugh mm. on, actually, this morning, but apparently the Transport Committee are issuing a report at some point soon, and they'd rather not right. say anything. But what he did say mm. was it's ethically outrageous that our national flag carrier is doing this at a time when the nation is at its weakest. I mean, those are pretty strong mm. words for, for a government minister. Uh, well, absolutely. Well, uh, he's a backbench MP, to be, to be fair. But yes, uh, from someone someone in his position, it is very strong. Well, he's chair of the select just, committee, isn't he? Mm, yes, he is. And it, it it just goes to show that the extent to which passions have been inflamed by this. I mean, you've got to you know look at the, look at the backstory to this. I mean, there's a lot. Uh, BA has gone through its fair share of industrial relations problems. You remember last um, summer and autumn, pilots went on strike and yes. grounded the entire fleet for a few days. Um, They've the had baggage before, handling problems, haven't they? Well, well, exactly. There were baggage handling problems the year before as well. You had um, sort of cabin crew based at Heathrow went on strike. That created a lot of difficulties for Heathrow. So, you know, the very much the inference and the suspicion is that this is about settling some long-held scores mm. and, um, if, if you like, um, uh, being able to uh, effectively turn uh, turn over the unions, weaken their position, and um, put more staff onto uh, less less attractive terms. Mm. I mean, obviously, BA would deny that. BA would say that they've got, um, that this is a consultation period. They've also been pretty irked by the fact that um, that, a lot, that a few of the unions aren't even engaging with them on this consultation. They say that unions like the GMB, which represent a lot of people at Heathrow, uh, sorry, at BA, aren't actually uh, engaging with their consultation over the redundancy and the change to terms, and there's not a lot they can do, they say, if they won't actually talk to them in the first place. No, quite. I'm also told that they are being very sluggish at returning money uh, to people. They're handling the issue of customer service appallingly, uh, I'm being mm. told, and, and a lot of people are still waiting for refunds for cancelled flights because, of course, what we've been telling people for ages uh, on the consumer front is that if they're trying to fob you off, if any airline's trying to fob you off with uh, vouchers or promises of flights in the future, you know, basically you can demand a refund. And BA have, mm. have been quite slow, apparently, in actually paying people the money back. Uh, yes, they have. I think in their um, in their defence, I would say actually BA have done better than quite a few of the other airlines. I think BA have actually refunded now the majority of people who want a refund, which carried out a study that came out last week and said that um, BA was actually performing better. It's actually Ryanair and EasyJet. They said that actually were the uh, mm. were the worst offenders when it comes to this. BA have paid out something like a billion pounds plus right. in terms of refunds. But yes, there are still clearly about. Uh, a quarter of people who want a refund that haven't had it from BA, from, from according to that which study. No, certainly. And, I mean, furloughing 23,000 staff, which they're entirely entitled to do under the rules of the furloughing scheme, it must be costing the government a fair pretty penny. I can't do the maths in my head of uh, how much 23,000 people earning on average, say, I don't know, 40,000 would actually cost, but mm. it's certainly in the millions. Well, uh, I mean, Willie Walsh wrote to the Transport Select Committee last week saying that, well, admitting that they'd received 35 million through the furlough scheme right. in April alone. So 35 wow. million in April. Well, one can imagine it's going to be a similar figure in May and probably in June. So, you know, all told, it's going to be 100 million plus. Um, and, you know, that is a lot of money, particularly when that money was specifically to make sure that those jobs were kept post-coronavirus and post uh, the, the pandemic. I mean, the problem that BA have got is that they say that... Um, that the sort of pre-COVID levels of passenger demand won't return until at least 2023, so another three or four years. Right. And, you know, the problem with them is that, OK, if um, if the furlough ends in a, in a few months' time or is downgraded, 
um, then they're still left with this legacy of the problem of having a huge workforce and not as much work for them to do. So they, they need to, they still would have to make some staff redundant. So, yes. so yes, you can sort of see it from their point of view, but you can you can imagine why this leaves such an unpleasant taste in the mouth. Well, it really does. And I mean, of course, everybody understands that the aviation business is in terrible trouble, um, not helped by the fact that the quarantine may or may not be coming in. I mean, after what happened yesterday on the streets of London, I'm not quite sure what the point of a quarantine would be, but that's another matter. But certainly Willie Walsh has said that if there is a quarantine in place in the UK, then there would be no point in flying any planes because nobody would get on them. Mm. Well, exactly. BA of... um are among one of the few airlines that haven't actually yet confirmed what they're going to do in um, in July. So obviously we know that the quarantine comes in on Monday. It means that anyone coming into the country is going to have to self-isolate for two weeks. Mm. Um, some airlines, the likes of Ryanair and EasyJet and Jet2 and holiday companies like TUI have said that they're going to actually start flying again from, from July. Um, but BA have said that it's probably pointless doing so. Virgin Atlantic also has said that they're not going to fly again until August, um, given that the uh, given that the quarantine is in place. I mean, you know, the fact is that it's not just quarantine that's in place as well. There's also um, foreign office travel advice, which yes. says that you shouldn't go overseas for any non-essential reason. That means that a lot of people who do want to fly abroad can't get travel insurance, which yes. means that a lot of people can't do so. And even if they did do so, uh, a lot of countries have um, have imposed a quarantine on UK travellers mm. going there. So, you know, France, for example, in a sort of tit-for-tat uh, style retaliation, has said that if any Brits want to go to France while the quarantine is in place here, they'll quarantine you over there as well. So you can't actually travel if you want to anyway. So I- I'd be very surprised if the likes of Ryanair and EasyJet do actually ramp up their schedules from the UK while the quarantine mm-hmm. remains in place, because I just can't see that many people are actually going to want to fly. No, I think that's the problem. And until such time as you know that you're going to not only be able to get to your destination and go to whatever it is, holiday home or hotel that you've booked without being held somewhere else, that nobody's mm. going to bother uh, putting the work in because a two-week holiday uh, could potentially turn into a six-week holiday because you've got two weeks yeah. quarantine at either end. Two so, weeks either you know, side, I know. Which is nice work if you can get it, I suppose, but I don't think most people would be able to do that. Well, I think the airlines themselves are holding out for the fact that the government will soon replace this sort of blanket measure with something more focused and mean that you only have to quarantine if you're coming back from particularly high-risk countries. Uh, Today, this afternoon, about five o'clock, the the airlines are going to be um, having a a conference call with Priti Patel, the Home Secretary, Mm. and Kelly Tolhurst, the Aviation Minister, where they're going to talk through some of this. And I I think the hopes are that these sort of air bridges, uh, as they've been called, to the low-risk countries will be established soon. I think the part of the problem is that I think it ignores the fact that we've got one of the worst COVID-19 infection well, rates in Europe. Well, that's the trouble, isn't it? I, mean, you know, I, don't, I don't know how many other countries would be would open their arms to, to UK yes. travellers right now. Well, that's the thing. I mean, Spain and Greece have both said um, that we are very far down the pecking order when it comes to tourism that they want to attract because, unfortunately, mm. it's all very well for us to say, oh, we'll do a deal with places where they haven't got much of an infection, but they, they may not want to deal with us. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, you know, they are heavily reliant on us. Spain, Portugal, you know, they have a Greece. They have a very high percentage of their yeah. of their overseas travellers coming from the UK. Yeah. Uh, Portugal, in particular, is uh, in proportional terms is very reliant on the UK, and they've been extremely vocal in in wanting to make sure that British tourists can come over there. But they'll only do so when they've been given assurances that um, that coronavirus is under control in this mm. country and that the appropriate measures are in place at airports, both on departure and arrival and and that's not something that is 
that is yet uniform across all airports. So yes. I think that will have to be put in place as well before we start to see any opening up of the borders. No, great. And finally, the landing slots conversation, which they were having yesterday, Kelly Tolhurst uh, and Hugh Merriman, both sort of urging an urgent review uh, into reallocating lucrative landing slots at Heathrow because British Airways, if they are downsizing, uh, perhaps should be punished for that uh, and they should be handed to companies who wish to expand. I mean, that would obviously be a, 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 have a bad knock-on effect onto British Airways, but could be good for other airlines who may wish to start up and, and be more competitive. Mm. Well, I mean, potentially it will. I mean, so, the, what, so what ha- what's happening here is that effectively sort of the, the whole slot uh, allocation business is quite complicated and it effectively follows EU guidance at mm. the moment. And um, what will happen at the end of the transition period is that that sort of oversight will will, will fall down uh, on the UK's lap. So they will, and have said that they want to try and use it to incentivize greater competition at these big airports where there is, mm. where there is lots of competition for slots. So um, I, I think yesterday the likes of Hugh Merriman were trying to explicitly link this to BA's uh, sort of ongoing problems with, with regard to redundancies and effectively try and use that slot reallocation to punish BA. I think the, the Department for Transport was, was very keen to brief out later on after that sort of hearing, after that, um, that, uh, that, that debate in the Commons that actually the slot allocation rules wouldn't be used to sort of punish BA retrospectively. But irrespective of the reason for it, I think you will probably see a reallocation of slots at Heathrow. You've got to remember Heathrow is the hub airport. It's the biggest airport in the country by a long way. And BA have more than half of the slots, including the most lucrative ones, the likes of JFK. Mm. I think that the government will be keen to open that out to more competition and allow other airlines um, to you know, to to get a bit more of a, a of a of a presence at some of these airports. Obviously, that is that is keeping in mind that we will have an aviation industry in the future, and that there will be the demand for people to travel in the sort of numbers that they have prior to uh, the pandemic. No, absolutely right, Graham. Thanks very much indeed, Graham Payton, transport correspondent at the Times, talking us through the problems at British Airways. But many of the problems at British Airways, I would say, are obviously self-inflicted because they've been having uh, public relations problems uh, and, and customer relations problems uh, and employee relations problems, really, for the past two to three years. Uh, the fact that the aviation business is in crisis thanks to the coronavirus has not helped that situation. But when you get uh, government um, ministers, the aviation minister specifically, Kelly Tolhurst, uh, urging for uh, an immediate sort of inquiry into the landing slots, when you get Hugh Merriman, the chairman of the Transport Select Committee, uh, basically saying that it's ethically outrageous that British Airways is behaving in the way that it is doing, that cannot be good news uh, for the company. It cannot be good news for the employees who they're all, uh, who are all going to be made redundant by the parent company, uh, which is IAG, uh, a Spanish-owned conglomerate, uh, which is funded largely by Qatar money. Uh, you know, it's about as British um, as, well, it's certainly uh, not really British at all, is it, anymore? So why bother calling it British Airways? Maybe they should rename it. Maybe they should uh, be named and shamed and told that they cannot behave like this if they want to retain the name British Airways. Simple as that. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It is that time of the day, 12.30 or just after 12.30 in the news, of course, because it's homeschooling time. You know, we've heard yesterday that all the schools in Wales are going to go back uh, later on uh, to to spend four weeks before uh, the summer holidays begin. We've got schools going back at the beginning of this week, but of course many parents still homeschooling their children uh, and either getting 
quite fed up with it or getting on with it very well. So this is a time when uh, we ask you to collect your children, uh, put them around the radio in various places, put them around the TV if you're watching it on YouTube uh, or indeed on Facebook, put it around your smart speaker. We're going to speak now uh, to Dr Nicola Tallis, historian and author of Crown of Blood, Elizabeth's Rival and Uncrowned Queen. British history is fascinating, right? I mean, everybody, whenever there's a period drama that comes out uh, involving particularly Henry VIII and the Tudors and Elizabeth I, people get really into it. Now, Lady Jane Grey uh, is today's subject because Lady Jane Grey was executed 1554, uh, I believe, in a place that I can see literally from where I am. I look out my window and I can see the Tower of London gleaming uh, as it sits high above the sort of the trees where the ravens are uh, it's a beautiful part of the world uh, and let's talk now to dr nicola tallis and find out what the secret to lady jane gray's story is nicola very good afternoon to you thank you Hello, how are you doing? Yeah, very well indeed. I mean, I'm I'm terribly sort of romantic about history, I have to say. And whenever you read about these characters, um, you try to imagine what life was like. And as I say, as the thing that's great about London is that on the one hand, I can see, you know, the shard from here. But on the other hand, I can see this incredible building where so much happened. And indeed, where Lady Jane Grey um, was executed. She was the shortest reigning monarch, I believe, in our history. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. In fact, some people don't even classify her as being a monarch. Um, but I don't fall into that category. Right. So tell us her story. She was the great uh, granddaughter, I think, of uh, Henry VIII. She was the great niece of Henry VIII. So the um, she was the uh, great granddaughter of Henry VII, the first of the Tudor kings. All right. And uh, yeah, so she was a great niece of henry the eighth through his younger sister mary tudor right and she was really raised as an unknown entity until she reached her teenage years uh, she was re- uh, raised primarily in the leicestershire countryside bradgate park uh, the ruins of which are still there for people to visit and um she was raised in a, a very very uh, some would say strict environment. She was raised with a, a great emphasis on her education. So uh, she would have been all up for this homeschooling lark um, because she was really, really well noted and respected, not just in England for her intelligence and her intellectual abilities, but also abroad. So this really just shows what an extraordinary young lady she was. Mm. Uh, because, you know, the is fascinating as they are, um, women don't often get a mention in the sources. So, you know, it's quite remarkable that this young girl who is being raised in Leicestershire was being talked about as far away as Europe. Yes, and she was fluent in French and Italian. She studied Latin, Greek and Hebrew, but she seemed to be surrounded by uh, what could only be described as a collection of incompetent advisers. Yeah, that's absolutely right, unfortunately. I mean, she had no desire to become queen at all. This role was really thrust upon her in the summer of 1553, following the death of Edward VI. And he died aged 15 without an heir of his own body. And he tried to sort of overturn the succession and declare Lady Jane to be his heir. Um, So suddenly she'd gone from being the daughter of a nobleman uh, and albeit, you know, with royal blood 
to suddenly Queen of England and um, surrounded by all of these male advisors, in particular her father-in-law, John Dudley, Duke of Northumberland, and she really didn't have any time or liking for him at all. No. Now, there's an amazing, I'm sure you all know this, there's an amazing portrait uh, of her, of the sort of death scene, it seems to me, of uh, uh, in, the por- in the portrait gallery in Trafalgar Square, which really does, I mean, again, when I see these paintings, you kind of, it, t- it brings it all to life, doesn't it? Because it's very hard to imagine what, I, I always like to think of what it smelled like and what it looked like and what the people were dressed like and all of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, the the portrait that you're talking about, so that one, um, it actually dates from the 1800s, so quite a long time after Mm. Jane had had died. But it is certainly one that makes a big impression. Mm. And it's from that that I think lots of people have have got their views and their ideas about Lady Jane Grey. Uh, But you're absolutely right. I'm exactly the same. I think it's really, it's quite useful to think about the way that these places would have looked, how they'd smell, how uh, the sounds that would have been heard. And uh, I don't imagine that many of them actually would have been particularly pleasant. No, absolutely right. So what happened to the Wyatt Rebellion then? Yeah, so the Wyatt Rebellion, that took place in January 1554. And Jane wasn't actually involved in that at all. Um, So the plot was to try and overthrow Mary I and replace her with her half-sister, Elizabeth, so better known today as Elizabeth I. But unfortunately for Jane, there was one huge sticking point, and that was that her father, Henry Grey, was one of the key conspirators in the Rising. And um, so when the White Rebellion ended in dismal failure and the conspirators were rounded up, Jane's father was actually found hiding inside a hollow tree by a dog on his estate in Warwickshire. And um, unfortunately, this really sealed Jane's fate. uh, Because as I say, she hadn't been involved in any way, shape or form. But Mary first realised that for Jane to remain alive, she would proved to be some kind of or she felt that she would be some kind of figurehead for future rebellion Mm. so unfortunately the order was given for Jane's execution and as far as the um uh, the execution was concerned I see that uh, that Wyatt himself uh, was involved in in various conspiracies um he raised an army of Kentish men marched on London but was captured and later beheaded I mean in terms of the executions did they choose, did you get a choice of how you could be executed? I mean, would she have been given the option of what had happened to her? No, absolutely not. The, the choice was all down to the Queen, Mary. So when Jane was tried, not far from where you are now, at Guildhall in the Great Hall, um, the, the official sentence was that she should be burned or beheaded at the Queen's pleasure. Right. So um, she could have been burnt at the stake, but she was granted the more, what was deemed to be the more merciful death for a noble woman which was being executed. I didn't realise we burned people at the stake in Britain. That's a bit shocking to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's part of the reason why uh, Mary I has acquired her nickname of Bloody Mary because she's well known for... Uh, burning nearly 300 Protestants at Smithfield. Wow. So, uh, so 
not common by any means and certainly certainly not um, heard of in the um, nobility or royal ranks. But yeah, certainly for, for common people, it was a possibility. I mean, so does that mean that when I have a Bloody Mary uh, in the sort of, you know, the weekend brunch scenario, um, is that in honour of her? I didn't realise that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So that's exactly where she's got her nickname. It was a, a name that was given to her um, in the reign of Elizabeth I and one that's unfortunately for Mary stuck until the present day. Right. It's fascinating to go back to this time. And, and I mean, as far as if anybody wants to know about the Lady Gray, Jane Grey story, where, where, where is the best place to go? Is, is, have you got a book out with her? I have, yes. So Jane was the subject of my first book, um, Crown of Blood, The Deadly Inheritance of Lady Jane Grey. So there I really tried to concentrate on bringing this girl to life and um, as far as obviously the facts allow and trying to demonstrate that this was a real girl and not someone who just survived on the pages of books. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.